Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I know it's been a minute since the last time you and I have spoken, and I want to thank you so much for following the Thrive Bites podcast. And I just want to let you know that there's good reason for that, and let me explain. In almost six months, I've been working tirelessly and diligently to helping people near and far during this tumultuous year that we've had from 2020 into 2021. And I said to myself, what more can I do to inspire and impact others? And you guys know me, I'm all about thriving. I'm all about thriving from a emotional, mental, and physical standpoint. That is the reason why I wrote Thrive Medicine. And that is the reason why I started this podcast called Thrive Bites. And so I decided that I wanted to put together a virtual summit experience, gathering over 50 speakers. That includes physicians, dietitians, fitness experts, coaches, and spanning over five pillars in teaching someone else on learning how to thrive. And I call this the Thrive Formula. The five pillars consist of food as medicine, functional fitness, relationships, community, and resilience. And the reason why I've chosen to do this is because I really wanted to give more tools, more education, and more inspiration. And letting people know that they're not alone and they don't have to be ill-equipped for life and whatever life throws at you, whether it's a curveball, whether it's an obstacle, whether it's a roadblock. And I worked really hard to provide this and I'm happy to announce that it is fully released and it's fully accessible. And you may ask yourself, who is this for and what does it consist of? This is for the individual that prioritizes their health and wellness and also wants to take charge of their own well-being. It's also for the healthcare professional and the healthcare professional student because I wanted to create a summit experience that I wish I could have had when I was in school. The summit experience has over 50 plus hours plus more ranging from culinary demonstrations to fitness demonstrations to scientific medical sessions. And we answer questions like, what is Whole Foods plant-based cooking? How do I start cooking back in my kitchen? What affects my brain, gut, and immune health? What are the tools for my own emotional and mental well-being? How can I be more of service and lead by example? What kind of nutrition do I need to give my children nowadays? To how do I navigate self-doubt, self-sabotage, my inner critic? to what are the best physical movements to increase my mobility, strength, flexibility, and function. And one of my favorites is how do I create more joy, contentment, and happiness in my own life? This summit also works like a masterclass series where you get to learn and further your education. And I do this by providing quizzes with every session and I provide workbooks. And there's also recipes and very, very special speaker bonuses. You'll also have the opportunity to join a private Facebook community to further your growth and connect with like-minded individuals. So if this resonates with you, please join us on this journey to further yourself and take back 2021 and beyond. You can find us at thriveformula.co. That's T-H-E-T-H-R number five, formula.co. And come on inside and I'll see you in there. Cheers.
Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us on the Fly Bites podcast. This is season four, and we're so excited for you to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Colin Zhu, double boarded in family and lifestyle medicine, and I interview the best and most passionate health and wellness experts of the industry on this platform. And we talk about plant powered living, emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And this season, we're taking it live, we're taking it on multiple platforms, and we're taking it as a Q&A discussion as well as our interviewing of our guests. So we're super stoked about this. And please remember to like and subscribe down below, and we will see you. Welcome to the next episode. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to Thrybytes Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You can be anywhere in the world, and I am super excited and thrilled that you can spend just a few moments with us today. Um, this is definitely near and dear to my heart, um, and I wish I could do a lot more with this. And, and this is how um, the title of this is How International Medical Relief uh, works. And I have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guest. Um, I cannot, you know, say <laughs> it's so hard to put into words uh, what she means and what she represents and what she does, you know, for the community, not just locally, but, you know, obviously uh, globally as large. So her uh, full name is Shauna Volmer King, and she is the president and founder of International Medical Relief. And it is a Colorado-based nonprofit organization dedicated to providing medical care to communities around the world that are underserved or have limited access to health care. And uh, it is a NGO, 501c3 organization with 60,000 volunteers. And this was established in uh, 2002. And it is the largest uh, provider of short-term medical care with focus on primary medical, surgical, dental care, and prevention using a teaching model of community health sustainability. And currently, they respond to numerous disasters worldwide, um, and they have now expanded it across 78 countries. So without uh, further ado, please welcome Shauna. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. I'm so happy to be here, really, and to share the story about International Medical Relief. You've done a phenomenal job with your podcast, and it's an honor to be here with you today. And you have served in the field with IMR and with me as your team leader. So I'm honored to be with you as you have firsthand knowledge about what these types of experiences are really like. Oh, man, it's uh, we'll definitely get more into that. But I was definitely blessed and privileged and humbled uh, to have had uh, that experience with you and, you know, with our fellow colleagues. And um, it's one of those things because traveling is such a passion of mine that, you know, you can't really put things, certain experiences into words. You really have to go out and live it um, and experience it in order to have a um, I guess a full experience of everything. So, so I thank you for that, for leading, you know, that specific mission. So, um, so let's get straight into it. I'm sure the audience, you know, want to know. And um, every time I start a new episode, and I, and I know this is your first, you know, podcast episode, which was shocking to me when we we're talking about this offline. Um, and so I'm very, very uh, privileged uh, to have you on first. 
but the origin story is what I start off with. And um, I would like for you to share with us, you know, how did you come about, um, you know, starting International Medical Relief or IMR? Um, and, uh, you know, just take us through the beginnings of that. Well, thank you. I, the creating of IMR is a really unique story. Uh, several events really in the late 1990s together um, culminated into my desire to serve internationally. Yet I never knew at the time that those events would be my calling and the foundation for my beliefs in doing medical missions. But they ended up culminating into my desire to create international medical relief. Um, one of them was an event that occurred in November of 1997, and it occurred in downtown Denver. There was an employee of the Hyatt Hotel, and he worked as a bellman there. Um, he also cleaned some rooms. His name is Omar Ja, and he sent money back home to his village of Jorbaval and his family. And one night after his shift, he was at the bus stop at 17th and Welton Street, right downtown. Um, he encountered two gentlemen who were white supremacists and they ended up calling him some names and fired some bullets, three bullets, um, two to his chest and one to his neck. Um, he was murdered that night. Um, a woman who was also at the bus stand with him, she was just an innocent bystander who witnessed the events. She was also shot and, and that, that shot actually paralyzed her. So even though Omar died that night, he really left a legacy in his wake. And part of it ended up becoming sort of my base or my passion for a lot of what I do. Um, my husband and I at that time funded a water pump to go to his village. And this was to support an agriculture project and also a container of medical supplies that we sent. And I ended up having the privilege to go to uh, the village to Senegal um, in the middle of the Sahara Desert with the, the GM of the Hyatt, who was there at the time, who obviously knew him. Um, we drove nine hours in the Sahara Desert. It was so hot. It was 120 degrees um, and it was just desert. Came across these children that were just running and screaming and clapping and cheering who were running alongside the bus. This is as we neared Jorbabal. And it felt like we were in a ticker tape parade of uh, winning Super Bowl championships, right? The, just the outpouring of the love and the support was so immense. Um, and so we pulled into the village and everybody just started singing and dancing. It was just quite something to be a part of. Um, I met the village chief and we talked about Omar. We talked about, you know, what had happened and he really couldn't comprehend that he was shot because of his skin color and that he had a different skin color. However, he did mm. believe that this senseless act of Omar's death was just is the destiny and that our being in Jorpal was just an absolute miracle. So that first night, um, that evening, the team was served a platter. We were about seven people, I believe. And the platter was cooked onions um, which was a primary vegetable for them. And on the very top of the platter was one carrot for the whole team to share. Now, Colin, on this podcast, you were always talking about the importance of proper nutrition. That evening really began my mission to serve the people of Jorbabal and those communities and other communities just like them. Food insecurity, as you and I have, have touched on just briefly, um, it's a huge issue among limited resource populations. We could do an entire pack, podcast just on that. 
Um, but after being in this village for one week, I saw the immense medical needs that they had. Um, the limited resources were just magnified. Um, this village needed significant support and it wouldn't survive another decade. So that began my quest to really do things great um, and really elevate this village. And over the course of the next decade, which in, in this process, IMR was created, we brought seeds, planted vegetable gardens, brought them solar lights to expand their hours. We built a school. But most importantly, the most important thing we did was we elevated the health care of those people that were living in that village. Um, even though we were bringing in medical teams regularly, we were able to build a medical clinic and pay for a doctor to regularly round in the village. And just that small investment in these vulnerable populations brought them world-class care over the years um, with the compassionate service. And we ended up saving so many lives. So this really began the hallmark for me of connecting my passion with purpose. Um, being able to serve people who would never be able to repay the volunteers for their investment of time and care. Um, these volunteers adapted from their traditional medical setting uh, in the U.S. where they have technology at their fingertips to such a primitive environment as you, you can attest to, um, where you're diagnosing and treating illnesses that sometimes you may not have seen or, you know, witnessed firsthand, maybe only read about in medical school, right? So um, I have the utmost respect for all of the volunteers. And that's really one of the reasons why I loved creating IMR is to give these people a place to serve, to give medical professionals a place to serve. Um, and that really began the future of um, recruiting volunteers to be the collective voice for these communities that have limited or no access to healthcare. And true to IMR's mission, we bring medical care to these communities um, and essentially practice kindness, compassion, empathy to perfect strangers um, in their moments of need who largely, you know, these volunteers will never see again unless they go back on another trip with us to that same village. And some people do repeat, but, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically the foundation of how we how we started the creation. Wow, wow, that's that's amazing. So, I mean, I I have two questions. Uh, let's go to the funding. You know, when you started, you know, I think you said it was a water pump. Um, you know, for yeah. the village was the first item. Mm -hmm. How you know? Because I would imagine you know GoFundMe, uh, Kickstarter, um, like all these funding campaigns that are so popular didn't exist back then, right? No, so no, how no. did you how did you uh, how did you fund that portion of it? Well, all of our trips are basically self-funded by, by the volunteers. So they either raise support or pay for their trip. It's a little bit of a different model. There are some um, organizations that have funding sources that come from them. Um, there is a lot of um, care and conscious thought that went into that in the very beginning of IMR um, as to if we would receive subsidies from governments or churches or grants or other causes. But IMR chose early on not to limit um, the terms of our service in the communities based on those requirements. So our deployments, they are self-funded by the volunteers. And then there's no hidden cause. There's no strings attached um, so the community in itself then gains that uh, medical care that otherwise, you know, would go unmet. But it's really 
just giving the care, right? So there isn't any hidden agendas to what we do. Mm -hmm. Some of the volunteers do fundraise. We have a fundraising uh, portal on our platform that allows them that. And and then some, um, you know, they reimburse from their hospitals or um, other sources. Some people get CME credits for their trips. So there's a variety of ways that they can actually get there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So at the time, you know, when you were setting this up, um, you know, were there, I, you know, because it's a nonprofit, right. You're not necessarily competing with other, you know, business and companies, but what type of gap, um, if at all, you know, uh, besides the obvious gap of healthcare, um, you know, did it fill, you know, did, you know, international medical relief IMR fill, um, at the time, um, and continuously that other, organizations were doing in terms of like similar uh, medical and dental uh, missions. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, AKA the chef doc and Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. On my podcast, we talk about eating and cooking and living from a whole foods, plant-based approach. And between my patients, clients, and my audience listeners, I get a lot of questions of, hey doc, how do I get started on how to set up a kitchen? Or what should I buy? What should I make? Is there something beyond a salad, broccoli, and a smoothie? I know in our fast-paced life and during a pandemic, it is much more challenging to be able to teach yourself and learning how to cook. And so I partner up with Listenable, who is a leader in audio educational courses that are bite-sized. And I went ahead and created a course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And in this course, I put in my best tips, tools, and tricks on everything I've learned on how to get someone started to eating more plants, getting healthier for you and your family. I talk about how to set up your kitchen from the pantry to the fridge, the freezer, to how to navigate the supermarket, to what kind of utensils and appliances one needs to have, to what do we need to make, how to meal prep, what kind of cooking techniques there are, and what exactly is whole foods plant-based. And I'm able to make this course over 10 lessons. Each of those lessons are less than 10 minutes long, and you'll be able to finish this in an hour. You could even do it while commuting, exercising, or even walking your dog. And in addition, you can choose from over 3,000 plus original audio lessons created by well-loved experts. Just use the coupon code ColinZhu, C-O-L-I-N-Z-H-U, on Listenable.io, and you'll be able to get 30% off a year of Listenable. So definitely check that out in the show notes, and check out the course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And I'll see you there. Thanks for listening. And now back to Thrivebytes. Welcome back to Thrivebytes. Let's get back to the interview. That's a great question. Largely, ministries of health seek IMR services because we go to very remote areas or treat indigenous communities or treat refugee populations. The refugees don't have access to medical care in those communities, in those countries, usually, at least government funded care. 
um, or outposts aren't there because of a lack of funding or there isn't enough patients. So we work side by side with with government medical partners and local doctors everywhere. And sometimes it's a matter of it isn't a matter of their expertise. Actually, a lot of these doctors are um, very experienced, as you saw on your trip to the Koran. They're very, very knowledgeable. Sometimes it's a lack of equipment or supplies. Sometimes it's a lack of pharmaceuticals, even though they can um, diagnose a patient, the patient cannot in turn receive the proper um the proper, you know, pharmaceuticals. So they have to go in and then, you know, purchase the medicines, which they don't have the funding for, but IMR provides those at no cost. So every community that we go to, we're often seeing people that, you know, maybe have had something that's chronic, but they haven't been able to get the medicines to care for it. Um, Regarding similar organizations to IMR, IMR does fill a unique gap here as well. Uh, We are the only organization that I'm aware of that co-locates medical, dental, specialty care, and sustainable training all under one roof in one week. So we combine all of those forces all together at one time. Um, So that's just really our model. And there isn't really another organization that pulls all these components together Mm -hmm. expertly. Um, that said, while there are some organizations that do one or two components of this type of work, they generally focus on that service in only a few locations. So they have a project in, you know, Peru, or they'll have a project in Uganda, but we work in 78 plus plus countries. Um, so we're very fortunate because of our size and our bandwidth that we can multiply our efforts everywhere we serve with such a wide myriad of volunteers. Um, and we deploy about 200 medical brigades annually. So we're doing so much. It gives our volunteers just a wide variety of things to choose from. Mm-hmm. Some organizations also work just in hospitals in cities. Um, and IMR is interested in giving care where otherwise that care doesn't exist. So we like to reach untouched people groups. So that's really on the forefront of every deployment and decision that we make. So like where you were with with the Korong, the hospitals and the city of Sihanoukville had had the care, but out in the Korong and on the islands of Archipelago, Mm -hmm. they didn't have um, that type of care. It just didn't exist. Um, I guess another gap that we feel is many organizations um, require a sabbatical, so they're quite long term. Or they may choose the countries that volunteers deploy to. Um, our organization gives opportunities to volunteers to, to really choose wherever they want to go. So some volunteers may want to continue in the same place. Maybe they want to go to Africa or maybe they want to go to Asia. But we offer all of those varieties of ways. Um, we also don't try to go into harm's way. Um, we want our volunteers to travel with ease. So we really cater to the volunteers. Um, they do the hard work of caring for the community. So we want to care for them and make it as easy for them as possible. So our missions are generally one week in length, although um, we as an organization stay and remain committed to those communities throughout the entire year. Mm. Um I think the single greatest component that sets us apart from other organizations is that our clinic directors are trained and certified teachers. So on our trips, we have the ability to pass forward that knowledge. So it's really a train the trainers model um, because we wanna leave this in the the communities. Um, We set aside time from every clinic to really conduct and train 
and certify our local friends, whether they're doctors or whether they're midwives or whether they're um, medical support staff. So our training is really customized to those audiences. So we've been able to teach in the last couple of years, as an example, we've taught helping babies breathe. We've taught uh, cervical cancer identification and treatment. Um, we just had a team in Tanzania a couple of weeks ago that did basic and advanced first aid. So we're always trying to elevate our, our providers that we work with, their training needs. Um, so we have physicians that come prepared with customized training as well. So a lot of our doctors are in a university setting where they've done seminars. So they bring that work to the table and um, they help to train our colleagues globally. So it really elevates the impact of everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, um, thank you for sharing that. There's so yeah. much to tease out of that. So it sounds like, you know, you pretty much have everything, you know, under, you know, one roof per se. And I, you know, as um, someone that's been, you know, I've worked with IMR, worked with you and have done other medical missions, we were talking offline. Um, you know, I've done just like one week excursions um, to the Dominican Republic, um, kind of close to the Haitian border. And um, it's, it's all about that connection, that community, that, that networking and that continuity of right. care. So right. before I knew about IMR, um, how, you know, I worked with, we worked with a local um, organization there. And so they were already on the ground. So mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense where, you know, you go there, they already have something established where they already have their original like team um, and or dental providers. And then you are coming into kind of like reinforcing that. Right. And there wasn't, you know, that was just that one example. And I would imagine, you know, other organizations that do something similar, that is super important, you know, to be able to teach and to have that continuity. Right. And even if you're only going for one week, you're going, you know, two, three times, you know, because I've, you know, I've looked at you know, the website, the what, if you guys haven't checked out the website, I believe it's internationalmedicalrelief.org. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful website and uh, everything is laid out. And, um, you know, you do like sometimes double, sometimes triple uh, times in a year to go back to the same locations. And, and I and would imagine you have the same networks to kind of keep going with that. Sure. And that's outside of a disaster. So we were just in Haiti for eight weeks. Um, so we try to help in a disaster for a longer period of time, usually two to three months for a deployment. So um, that continual work, but like you said, it's that shoulder to shoulder care. It's being a partner with the providers. It's providing them care in the absence of a team, helping them through, giving them the tools that they can succeed in the communities. So giving them the materials that we teach for our community health education classes so they can teach when we're gone because we want to elevate the communities. It's not about our volunteers being there, but it's about how do we lead these communities and how can we sustain their healthcare in the absence of a team? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I love that because it's, it's about um, not just a one-off, you know, you want them to ideally be able to sustain themselves, right. Be able to have the education to, for them to continue what you bestow upon them, whether it's, um, you know, uh, equipment to it's, you know, mainly the education, right. Um, and I love that it's an important, 
um, component of the organization is to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just love it. So yeah, um, even if you think about when um, we were in Senegal, we've tried to work ourselves out of a community in some instances. So if we've been going there for a long enough period of time, we've set them up, we've taken care of a lot of their basic health needs. We have doctors that locally rotate through those communities now. We don't need to return every quarter, maybe return every year or maybe once mm. every other year, or we bring higher level of specialists. So we try to advance our teams along with what the community's needs are. Well, I guess a follow-up question I would have is, let's just say you do not have someone that's specialized to teach or from an academic uh, you know, setting. Would you source out someone locally that has that teaching background or that educational background to be able to relay the information and then pass on when you are there? Absolutely. We do a train the trainers model. So we always bring on partners. I was just mentioning the the Tanzania case where we worked with the Tanzanian Red Cross um, so even though our uh, educator is certified in the U.S. with the American Heart Association and the American Red Cross, we were able to bring in Tanzanian leaders that are trainers um, to partner with us so that those Tanzania doctors and nurses that went through that training actually got certified in their country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So um, let's go back to basics a little bit. Um, so you know, you went into this on how IMR works. Um, so how do you source um, the medical providers? Um, and how did you in the beginning um, establish like the logistics, um, you know, before you actually had, you know, on the ground, you know, community and the organizations that you can, you know, work with on a continual basis? Like, how did you set that up to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, most of the communities came to us looking for um, looking for a medical team to serve. So that was, you know, choices that we had to make. Um, but careful and conscious thought goes into every deployment, into every decision that we make um, within those countries, whether it's a new country or whether it's a new outreach or plea that comes forward to us. Um, it could be through an application process or it could be that the Ministry of Health makes a request on behalf of a particular community because we work with them wherever we go. Um, we carefully choose the applicants um, really based on our work within that country and where the Ministry of Health sees the resources that we have that are going to be the best fit. It's really difficult to make uh, those choices because every community, every patient everywhere deserves to have healthcare, right? So, um, you know, that's, that's really the tough choices. But once everything is settled and the time of year and the location is chosen, um, then the opportunity to participate in a medical brigade goes out there. So, you know, our primary source is word of mouth and we have our website, we have some social media, um, but volunteers come forward just like you came forward and they apply through our rigorous um, application process and then they're vetted and then they're selected for deployment and then um, their training begins. So we have conference calls, we have training materials online, we have CE credits. So we work to make sure that our volunteers, you know, know well about what they're going to experience. Um, and we do a lot of onboarding. We even do um, a big orientation in the field as well, just to make sure that they're comfortable and confident in going to the clinics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that's, um, that's, it's like I said, <laughs> offline, such a massive undertaking. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really about having, you know, that good network uh, of people. Do you currently now, or have you over time, um, had more requests that you can actually fulfill in terms of like, you know, a certain country or city or village of origin, you know, did you have more than you could actually fulfill? And, you know, uh, had you, ha have you ever turned down, you know, a, a certain village or community? We, we do. We, um, we try to continue to work where we are working because our model is sustainability. So we can only take on um, a few new communities every year. So uh, this year in 2022, we're um, going to be taking on three new countries um, right now, but it's really tough. Uh, we have a lot that comes in. So there's a lot of need out there. Uh, we have 60,000 volunteers that have expressed an interest in serving. So it's also finding the places that they want to serve. And then, um, you know, just narrowing down where we have the capacity to serve. So it's, we do try to go as many places as we can, but we also have to meet the needs of the communities that we've already committed to. Um, so I want to go into a quick commercial break. Um, guys, for those that are watching, um, please type in your comments and questions to Ms. Shauna here. Um, if you have any questions about her, her organization or just medical slash dental uh, relief, um, you know, in general, um, this is a, a great topic, uh, especially during times like this. And uh, we'll be back um, in a moment. So stay tuned. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, AKA the chef doc. I just want to take a few moments of your time to talk to you about something, something that I feel needs to give reflection and pause for. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, I've been on the self-work journey for a decade now. And I remember in my personal experiences uh, through my doctor's journeys and also from traveling the world, I was always searching for the next step or thinking that happiness was a destination. However, it's not. What I found instead was that life was a process. And learning about life was also a process and a practice. And that the state of happiness and the state of joy and contentment was also a practice. For those of you who don't know, since I don't share that much on my podcast, is that I actually battle with anxiety, OCD, and in the past, episodes of depression. However, little by little, step by step, after seeking extra help, I've been able to achieve monumental things in my life that I've been eternally grateful for. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is a sponsor of this podcast. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. 
You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. A couple of reviews. This is by Rebecca Raymer. Becky has literally saved my life by truly understanding me. She has given me self-talk strategies and different thought pattern exercises that have made me stronger and a more aware person. I am so, so grateful to have found her. I've been to so many different therapists and none have helped me like Becky has. This is another review for Adam Johnson. I've had counselors before both on BetterHelp and in person through work. And Adam by far is the best counselor I've ever talked with. I feel like he actually listens to and what is going on. He asks questions to help you navigate your thoughts And you can tell that he is listening and wants you to help you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc. That's better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1.4 million people taking charge of their mental state with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Thrive Byte listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc. T-H-E-C-H-E-F-D-O-C. Thank you for listening, guys, and back to the episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, guys, and welcome back to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you for joining us. I have the lovely, lovely Miss Shauna Vollmer King. And uh, we are talking about international uh, medical relief um, as a concept and topic, but also as a real organization that's doing amazing, amazing stuff since uh, its inception in 2002, right? Yes. (laughs) This year will be our 20th anniversary. Oh, my God. Are you doing anything special (laughs) for the 20th anniversary? So many special surprises. You'll have to come on, on a trip. There is a lot <laughs> happening out there. <laughs> yeah. um, so we are talking about the basics, um, you know, and how, you know, it became, you know, like a grassroots, you know, um, endeavor. And now it's become such a huge organization. You have 60,000 volunteers. We were just talking about, generally speaking, on how you know international medical relief works, how your organization works. So my next question to you is, um, you know, when I was going to the Dominican Republic and um, I had, I've done three trips to the DR um, and uh, it was also very grassroots. Um, we had to go around how we had to source medications because medications, equipment is a huge part of it, right? Um, we had to go to a lot of local pharmacies in our area when I was going to medical school. And uh, they would donate, you know, medications, um, you know, to our mission, right? And we have to, you know, we went to dental offices, they donated floss and, you know, toothbrushes, we went to pharmacies, they gave us, you know, as many, you know, medications as possible. Um, how does that work, you know, for IMR, you know, um, you know, what do you guys do differently? How do you, you know, do the volunteers? I, you know, now we know that volunteers, you know, 
do the the self you know source funding crowd uh, uh, source funding. And but what about in terms of equipment and drugs and you know medications? Like what do you guys do with that? That's a great question. Uh, so we source our pharmaceuticals largely from two different places, depending on the country that we're serving. So sometimes we're asked to bring in our supplies, in which case we generally purchase brand new non-expired uh, medications that are adult and pediatric, as well as over-the-counter medications um, from FDA-approved sources. Um, alternatively, Ministries of Health sometimes request that we purchase um, our pharmacy through vetted and approved sources that they give us in country. And that's largely because we work with local medical partners and they're really familiar with those brands. Um, and since they do some of the prescribing or prescribe alongside us, we want to make sure that they're comfortable and confident in what they have in our pharmacy. Sometimes it's a combination of the two. Um, we love it when our volunteers partner with us. Um, oftentimes they come alongside and do campaigns. A lot of it is for our community health education supplies um, because we pretty much take care of the pharmacy on our own. We're really specific and particular about what goes into our pharmacy and we get that approved um, by the Ministry of Health representatives months ahead of time. So what, what our volunteers generally source for us are uh, community health education giveaways, things like toothbrushes, soap, um, nail files, eyeglasses, reading glasses. So those kinds of things are really valuable. And sometimes it's great to just have people partner with you. Not everybody can go on a trip, but a lot of times people really want to walk alongside you on that journey. So having them be able to go, um, you know, with you to do those types of things, um, you know, that's a great, a great benefit. Um, they, they'd love to, to help. Yeah. I remembered, um, when we sourced these, uh, equipment, um, I even donated a lot of clothes and I, I had to ship the clothes with me on the plane, um, you know, just so they could, you know, the villagers, because a lot of times, um, you know, um, when I went on these trips, a lot of the villagers, I was in a, a very small village called Naeba, um, which is close to the Haitian border in DR. A lot of them have never even seen um, a medical provider. Some of them is the very first time. Um, and whenever we set up camp, uh, we worked in three different villages and we rotated, you know, and just traveled around. And whenever they heard about us way in advance and when on the day of, there was like a long line of them just kind of waiting and they would wait like two, three hours. Um, you know, I, I know as, as Americans, we can sometimes get impatient. And, you know, if it goes over like 15, 30 minutes, like a lot of us are out the door, right? But some of these villagers would just stretch down the dirt road, right, for two, three hours because, you know, it's their first chance and opportunity to be able to see someone. Um, but yeah, we would, we would ship I, I mean, I shipped a huge box of uh, clothes, <laughs> you know, um, to be able to donate um, as well. So um, when you said that people who physically can't come, uh, I would imagine uh, being able to send as much um, as you can um, uh, to them would be would be very, very helpful. Very true. And we have new COVID protocols in place now. Our clinics look a little bit different than they used to, just in terms of the crowds and the people that we're able to accommodate. Um, we have a lot of new protocols in place just to keep not only our volunteers safe, but also the communities that we're serving. So they do look a little bit different, but uh, a little bit smaller crowds than before. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially if you're, you know, the, the whole goal is to make it sustainable. And if you're going there multiple times, um, you're hoping that every time you visit is in a, a step up or is a improvement uh, from the last time you visited it, right? Yeah, so, yes, exactly. I'm always a, a big believer in, uh, you know, whenever you leave um, a place to make it better than when you first came in and, you know, you're doing that in spades. So, um, so my next question is about funding and we already, you know, answered this in the beginning, but, um, you know, so your volunteers that come on, they self-fund, right? Um, you know, whether it's through different types of crowdsourcing or, you know, a crowdfunding, uh, you know, resources, how, um, if, if, a, if at a particular trip, you know, let's just say you have an estimate, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong in terms of thinking it this way, but if there's a particular, uh, particular amount of volunteers or a particular amount of money that needs to be funded or the costs in order for this trip to happen, let's just say you don't meet that, meet that mark. Do you just not go on this trip or how would that work? No, we always make a commitment to the communities that we serve. So we have a pretty good idea with our team sizes, what our minimums are, but all of the money that is brought in for a trip is given to that trip. So it goes into that particular trip. When the volunteers participate, they pay what's called a program fee, and that's a program donation. So only a part of that goes to their personal um, expenses, probably about 15%, averages about 15%, depending on the trip. But the rest of that goes into the care that we do throughout the year to sustain those communities. So um, we have our minimums and then the rest goes directly to those communities. Mm-hmm. Our operating budget is one and a half percent for our administrative overhead. So it's very, very good for a nonprofit organization. Um, we're super proud of our um, transparency and fiscal accountability. We have a lot on our website that that shows all of our numbers, but the majority of the money that is raised, 98 and a half cents to every dollar that goes um, into a program goes directly to uh, the communities for their healthcare needs. Mm, mm, That's amazing. Yeah, that actually answers my next question is, you know, of everything that is, you know, funded um, and that's raised, you know, what does the end user, um, in this case, it's a community or village in need, you know, what do they end up with? And, you know, you, you, uh, you answer that. And um, I think the more, the, the biggest value is really the education, you know, because that is a reoccurring, you know, thing that they can practice and teach and learn, you know, over and over. Um, do you do anything in terms of school systems? We do. We work with a lot of schools. So we work with elderly homes um, and elderly communities. We work with a lot of schools. We train teachers in the schools. We get them all of our community health education materials as well as supplies for community health education so they can continue on that path. Uh, but those are it's great to be able to talk to, to young people um, and inspire them. When we return to certain villages, we get the, the little kids that come up and um, for the first time. And then when we return to the village, they, there's a few that always want to be a doctor or a nurse. And they say that they were inspired by one of the team members that they met. So it's always really encouraging to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your hope is, uh, you know, my hope is to always continuously inspire someone else and they can take it and uh, to their own families and communities and create a ripple effect. Um, so that's, that's always, uh, 
you know, the, the goal. So, and I'm glad that you have that component again. I can't emphasize that enough because at least for me, I'm all about teaching. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you're doing too. It's important. And uh, it's the sustainability it's, you know, teach someone how to fish rather than give them, you know, the fish. Right. So, you know, sure. working shoulder to shoulder with those partners and being able to elevate the knowledge of these medical providers in the field. Um, we work with midwives and give them not only the knowledge, but give them birthing kits so that throughout the year, you know, however many children that they generally birth, you know, if it's nine, if it's 20, if it's 40, we want to give them not only the knowledge, but the tools as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. So they can continue to exactly. pass it on within their local community or the community at large or for the next generation. So um, super, super important. Um, so my uh, my last question, um, we're going to be closing up soon, is um, have you been able thus far to kind of meet your vision slash vision goals of international medical relief? I know the organization has been around for some time now. We're going to celebrate, you know, 20 years. Um, you know, that's the first part of the question. And then the second part is, you know, what is on the horizon for, you know, uh, IMR, you know, moving forward? And I don't know what is on the horizon. Has that differ, you know, being that we're in a COVID pandemic world um, or it doesn't? Great, great questions. Um, with, with regard to our mission and our vision, I mean, 100%, every deployment that IMR takes, we look really carefully at our mission and our vision. Uh, we are really uniquely positioned as one of the largest providers of short-term deployments um, to meet the sustainable long-term needs of those communities. And with that comes great responsibility uh, to ensure that we are elevating the care um, and we're giving responsible and effective care to the communities. Um, and every decision that we make, whether it's here as we're planning logistically for the trip or with our clinic directors in the field, um, we look at global health not only in terms of each mission, but we we set um, we set aside that in terms of where does this community look in ten years? So how can we optimize our operations? So that the communities we serve don't just have adequate medical care now, but have excellent quality-based care, and we can show visible improvements in their health. So we love statistics. We love evaluating what we've done, looking at our mission and vision every step of the way, ensuring that specific goals are met with every single deployment. Um, we follow the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So all of our brigades include key components of the UN SDGs. So we look at particularly um, goals 3, 6, and 17. Those are the ones that we meet on every one of our deployments. Um, we're always, in terms of our vision and mission, we evaluate our strategic plan annually, and we make sure that we're continually looking ahead at the future of global medicine. We're a very innovative organization and all of our executive leadership team is very innovative as well. So we're on the forefront mm-hmm. of what can be done in global medicine. We want to improve the quality of care worldwide for everybody. Um, in terms of what's next, the, the pandemic um, did uh, adjust things a little bit. It really elevated our domestic work um, and we still did international work as well. 
Uh, as the pandemic was unfolding, we looked at how we could serve those same vulnerable populations, but right here in Colorado. So we began working with the state of Colorado. We began working with the city of Denver on a plan to really provide world-class care 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, to Colorado's vulnerable communities. And that's really what we've been doing largely for the last 20 months. Um, for the first time in Colorado's history, we were able to pivot the shelter operations um, for emergency. They What Colorado used to have was emergency night shelters and then daytime shelters that offered 24-hour uh, services. So when IMR was called to the task to serve at several locations, including the congregate shelters as well as a hotel, um, we did that. You know, we were right there. We knew that that meant our mission. It was serving vulnerable communities. Um, I learned a great deal from that experience. These guests that we served, they were so resilient beyond what I have ever known. And our teams were amazing. We truly saved lives. And um, we reached paramount heights with the number of volunteers that came forward to help. Um, most of our volunteers are medical. So as you can imagine, like you too, they're serving in their own state. So they're looking at, you know, COVID in their own communities, yet they still took the time to come to Colorado to serve with IMR. They didn't give up on the cause of ser serving IMR. So as these volunteers were coming forward in droves and they were answering the call to serve, we just continued to do more work and elevate our presence. And I'm so proud of all of our volunteers for being the phenomenal caregivers that they are. Um, they emulate everything I had ever envisioned about what IMR would be. And now this model that we created here in Colorado is actually has been taken up by other states um, and it's widespread in the shelter system. So the pandemic did adjust it a lot, but we're full force ahead. We have um, the same number of trips on our books this year that we have in the past. And we're ready and excited to get back out to the world. The world is calling us like never before. And the communities are, are calling us, knocking on our doors, waiting for volunteers to come. So we're excited to get back out there. I am, um, you know, I am super, super thrilled to have worked and definitely, you know, look forward to future missions as well. And um, I think a large part of you know, you getting excited and you being inspired is because of your leadership, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, if you don't have someone that embodies that type of uh, symbol of, you know, you know, walking the talk, you know, getting your hands dirty, um, you know, just really, really being out there because, you know, I know firsthand that, you know, you're, you know, you already have a massive, you know, task of, you know, doing that, you know, to be able to manage all these different, you know, pockets and networkings and uh, groups and stuff. But, you know, you also put yourself out there by, by, by being in a community and working alongside with the volunteers. And that, to me, that shows volumes um, because it, you know, I, I really, really admire people that walk their talk and practice what they preach. And so, um, and so you don't need words for that. You just see someone's actions and you get inspired by that. And that in turn creates a ripple effect, you know, for, you know, everything else. And, you know, we're a large world, right. But we're also small at the same time. And so being able to show that kind of, um, you know, action and portrayal is super, super important. And honestly, we need more of that, you know, just good, 
honest, you know, um, leadership. And, you know, I really appreciate, um, you know, I don't know if you receive gratitude enough, uh, <laughs> but like, I, 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 because sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we don't like as, as doctors, like, I don't know, like, um, you know, I, I, it's always, it's always like, you know, you know, less gratitude and more like, doctor, I got this going on, doctor, I got this going on, you know what I'm saying? So, so it's yeah. at least from, you know, a person to person, um, oh, you. you know, being able to express gratitude, you know, uh, when it's due. So. Well, thank you. You do such an amazing job. You were a great provider in the field, just taking on all those, all those kids and, and working with the Cambodians. And mm -hmm. uh, we'd love to see you again. You're a great compassionate caregiver with a humanitarian heart and you do so much for others. So join us anytime, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so those um, that are watching, um, you know, how can they reach out to you? How can they reach out to the organization to kind of, you know, sign up and, you know, look for what's coming up next? Well, thank you for that. Uh, our website is www.internationalmedicalrelief.org. And we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, we would love to have people follow us on socials, uh, check out what we're doing. Um, just being a part of part of that, being a part of IMR, you can become a donor, contributor, a monthly partner. Um, corporate social responsibility is really important to us uh, with in terms of medical equipment. Like you said, we have a lot of partners that walk alongside us to help us to be as successful as we are in those communities. So everything you can do is, is great. We love volunteers coming on trips with us too. So all are welcome, non-medical volunteers. <laughs> awesome. Let me just uh, post up a couple of uh, comments. This is from Tactical Medical Training. They say IMR does excellent work. Um, another Will Lively, he's, uh, he says, good job, IMR. So... Um, so yeah, we really appreciate it. You know, I've been privileged to be able to join, definitely reach out, um, and look at their stuff, uh, look at the great, uh, work that they do. And, you know, like, uh, Shauna's uh, mentioned, um, there's always some way to be able to contribute, um, and, or support or donate. And, uh, Shauna, thank you so much for, uh, taking the time out, um, and, uh, you know, for us to host your very first, uh, you know, podcast guest <laughs> episode, I'm really, really thrilled. And we'll, you know, we're definitely happy to have you um, in the future, because I know there's a lot of other topics we want to talk about, um, you know, uh, as a community um, at large, because uh, globally, you know, we're just, uh, you know, together, um, we are stronger together. Um, you know, and, but we also have a lot of obstacles that we need to, you know, kind of fortify that strength with. So there's like a bajillion other topics we can talk about. So I really appreciate, you know, uh, you uh, for your leadership and, uh, your entire organization, um, at large. So thanks Colin. Likewise, you've done a great job. I was, I was proud to be a part of this. <laughs> guys uh thank you so much for watching this episode um if you like this please share a like and comment and uh, if you feel this was a benefit uh, for someone else um please pass it along um as well and until the next episode please say goodbye to shauna <laughs> bye bye thank you hey guys that was another episode of thrive bites if you like that episode, please subscribe and follow weekly for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.